Today is the sixth day of November. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I'm Brian. It's great to be here with you today. And I'm glad we can take the next step forward in the scriptures together. And that next step will be in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament and the book of Hebrews in the New. And so let's dive in. We're reading from the Good News Translation this week. Ezekiel 14, verse 12 through 16, verse 41. The Lord spoke to me. Mortal man, he said, if a country sins and is unfaithful to me, I will reach out and destroy its supply of food. I will send a famine and kill people and animals alike. Even if those three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were living there, their goodness would save only their own lives. The Sovereign Lord has spoken. Or I might send wild animals to kill the people, making the land so dangerous that no one could travel through it. And even if those three men lived there, as surely as I, the Sovereign Lord, am the living God, they would not be able to save even their own children. They would save only their own lives, and the land would become a wilderness. Or I might bring war on that country and send destructive weapons to wipe out people and animals alike. And even if those three men lived there, as surely as I, the Sovereign Lord, am the living God, they would not be able to save even their children, but only their own lives. If I send an epidemic on that country, and in my anger take many lives, killing people and animals, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job lived there, as surely as I, the Sovereign Lord, am the living God, they would not be able to save even their own children. Their goodness would save only their own lives. This is what the Sovereign Lord is saying. I will send my four worst punishments on Jerusalem. War, famine, wild animals, and disease to destroy people and animals alike. If some survive and save their children, Look at them when they come to you. See how evil they are, and be convinced that the punishment I am bringing on Jerusalem is justified. Then you will know that there was good reason for everything I did. The Sovereign Lord has spoken. The Lord spoke to me. Mortal man, he said, how does a vine compare with a tree? What good is a branch of a grapevine compared with the trees of the forest? Can you use it to make anything? Can you even make a peg out of it to hang things on? It is only good for building a fire. And when the ends are burned up and the middle is charred, can you make anything out of it? It was useless even before it was burned. Now that the fire has burned it and charred it, it is even more useless. Now this is what the Sovereign Lord is saying 
just as a vine is taken from the forest and burned. So I will take the people who live in Jerusalem and will punish them. They have escaped one fire, but now fire will burn them up. When I punish them, you will know that I am the Lord. They have been unfaithful to me, and so I will make the country a wilderness. The Sovereign Lord has spoken. The Lord spoke to me again. Mortal man, he said, point out to Jerusalem what disgusting things she has done. Tell Jerusalem what the Sovereign Lord is saying to her. You were born in the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, and your mother was a Hittite. When you were born, no one cut your umbilical cord or washed you or rubbed you with salt or wrapped you in cloths. No one took enough pity on you to do any of these things for you. When you were born, no one loved you. You were thrown out in an open field. Then I passed by and saw you squirming in your own blood. You were covered with blood, but I wouldn't let you die. I made you grow like a healthy plant. You grew strong and tall and became a young woman. Your breasts were well formed and your hair had grown, but you were naked. As I passed by again, I saw that the time had come for you to fall in love. I covered your naked body with my coat and promised to love you. Yes, I made a marriage covenant with you, and you became mine. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Then I took water and washed the blood off you. I rubbed olive oil on your skin. I dressed you in embroidered gowns and gave you shoes of the best leather, a linen headband, and a silk cloak. I put jewels on you, bracelets and necklaces. I gave you a nose ring and earrings and a beautiful crown to wear. You had ornaments of gold and silver and you always wore clothes of embroidered linen and silk. You ate bread made from the best flour and had honey and olive oil to eat. Your beauty was dazzling and you became a queen. You became famous in every nation for your perfect beauty because I was the one who made you so lovely. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. But you took advantage of your beauty and fame to sleep with everyone who came along. You used some of your clothes to decorate your places of worship. And just like a prostitute, you gave yourself to everyone. You took the silver and gold jewelry that I had given you used it to make male images and committed adultery with them. You took the embroidered clothes I gave you and put them on the images, and you offered the images, the olive oil and incense I had given you. I gave you food, 
the best flour, olive oil, and honey. But you offered it as a sacrifice to win the favor of idols. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Then you took the sons and the daughters you had borne me and offered them as sacrifices to idols. Wasn't it bad enough to be unfaithful to me without taking my children and sacrificing them to idols? During your disgusting life as a prostitute, you never once remembered your childhood when you were naked, squirming in your own blood. The Sovereign Lord said, You are doomed. Doomed. You did all that evil. And then, by the side of every road, you built places to worship idols and practice prostitution. You dragged your beauty through the mud. You offered yourself to everyone who came by. And you were more of a prostitute every day. You let your lustful neighbors, the Egyptians, go to bed with you. And you used your prostitution to make me angry. Now I have raised my hand to punish you and to take away your share of my blessing. I have handed you over to the Philistines who hate you and are disgusted with your immoral actions. Because you were not satisfied by the others, you went running after the Assyrians. You were their prostitute, but they didn't satisfy you either. You were also a prostitute for the Babylonians, that nation of merchants, but they didn't satisfy you either. This is what the Sovereign Lord is saying. You have done all this like a shameless prostitute. On every street you built places to worship idols and practice prostitution. But you are not out for money like a common prostitute. You are like a woman who commits adultery with strangers instead of loving her husband. A prostitute is paid but you gave presents to all your lovers and bribed them to come from everywhere to sleep with you. You are a special kind of prostitute. No one forced you to become one. You didn't get paid. You paid them. Yes, you are different. Now then, Jerusalem, you whore. Hear what the Lord is saying. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You stripped off your clothes, and like a prostitute, you gave yourself to your lovers and to all your disgusting idols. And you killed your children as sacrifices to idols. Because of this, I will bring all your former lovers together the ones you liked and the ones you hated. I will bring them around you in a circle and then I will strip off your clothes and let them see you naked. I will condemn you for adultery and murder and in my anger and fury I will punish you with death. I will put you in their power and they will tear down the places where you engage in prostitution and worship idols. 
They will take away your clothes and jewels and leave you completely naked. They will stir up a crowd to stone you and they will cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses down and let crowds of women see your punishment. I will make you stop being a prostitute and make you stop giving gifts to your lovers. Hebrews 7, 18-28 The old rule, then, is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law of Moses could not make anything perfect. And now a better hope has been provided through which we come near to God. In addition, There is also God's vow. There was no such vow when the others were made priests. But Jesus became a priest by means of a vow when God said to him, The Lord has made a solemn promise and will not take it back. You will be a priest forever. This difference then also makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. There is another difference. There were many of those other priests because they died and could not continue their work. But Jesus lives on forever, and his work as priest does not pass on to someone else. And so he is able, now and always, to save those who come to God through him because he lives forever to plead with God for them. Jesus, then, is the high priest that meets our needs. He is holy. He has no fault or sin in him. He has been set apart from sinners and raised above the heavens. He is not like other high priests. He does not need to offer sacrifices every day for his own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. He offered one sacrifice, once and for all, when he offered himself. The law of Moses appoints men who are imperfect to be high priests. But God's promise made with the vow, which came later than the law, appoints the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Psalm 106, 1-12 The Lord's goodness to his people. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His love is eternal. Who can tell all the great things he has done? Who can praise him enough? Happy are those who obey his commands, who always do what is right. Remember me, Lord, when you help your people. Include me when you save them. Let me see the prosperity of your people and share in the happiness of your nation. 
and the glad pride of those who belong to you. We have sinned as our ancestors did. We have been wicked and evil. Our ancestors in Egypt did not understand God's wonderful acts. They forgot the many times He showed them His love, and they rebelled against the Almighty at the Red Sea, and it dried up. He led His people across on dry land. He saved them from those who hated them. He rescued them from their enemies. But the water drowned their enemies. Not one of them was left. Then his people believed his promises and sang praises to him. Proverbs 27, 4 through 6. Anger is cruel and destructive, but it is nothing compared to jealousy. Better to correct someone openly than to let him think you don't care for him at all. Friends mean well, even when they hurt you. But when an enemy puts his arm around your shoulder, watch out. All right, let's touch on Hebrews first and then move our way backward to Ezekiel. For the last couple of days, we've been just kind of talking about Melchizedek. Uh, Just just trying to figure out why this obscure figure from the book of Genesis shows up in the book of Hebrews with a bit of a cameo appearance in Psalm 110. And all of that discussion wasn't to make a theological statement. It was just to say, who is Melchizedek and what is his significance? How does this obscure figure become a significant a person that gets mentioned again in the New Testament with more information than we had in the Old. And we talked a little bit yesterday about Psalm 110 where Melchizedek shows up. In verse 4, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we talked about Melchizedek being a priestly king that was not from the tribe of Levi. And then we talked about different literature that showed us that Melchizedek was still in the thought of the Hebrew people right through until Jesus' time. And at Jesus' time, they were really looking for a Messiah. They weren't necessarily naming or looking for Jesus in particular, but they were looking for this kind of person to show up. And Psalm 110 was one of those references that they would use that prophetically speaks of such a person. So in the book of Hebrews today, that's made explicit. That the writer of Hebrews is clearly looking at Psalm 110 as a prophetic foreshadowing of the Messiah and then declaring that that Messiah was Jesus. And Hebrews kind of finishes off with that thought today. So we can see that whether King David, when uh, penning Psalm 110, thought anything different than a, that, that this was about himself... Over time, it was definitely perceived as a prophetic utterance. And for the writer of Hebrews, uh, in a Hebrew culture writing to Hebrew people, it was apparent that Jesus closed the loop, that he is a priestly king who sacrificed himself once and for all and now lives 
as priest forever on behalf of us all. And all of that discussion has a, a cultural and contextual background, and we talked about that. But the larger story or the bigger narrative that's going on in Hebrews is intended to show how God is doing a new thing. A new thing that they were expecting, but a new thing that they didn't recognize. And showing that Jesus is this new thing. And so for devout Jews, you know, the, the Torah, the law is the thing. But Hebrews is saying there were things going on before there was a law. Those things predate the law. They're not under the law. The law didn't exist. And those things matter. Which is how Melchizedek winds its way into the story and sets precedent for God doing new things. Things beyond the Mosaic law. Not because the law is evil, of course, but the law's purpose is to expose failings and sin. It's to show and reveal when we've stepped out of bounds. But Jesus' appearance in the story changes everything. He fulfills the law and becomes the high priest forever on behalf of us all. Very, very similar to the kinds of things the Apostle Paul wrote about, especially in the book of Romans, but all throughout his teachings. So, we can get lost in all kinds of um, uh, thoughts about Melchizedek, but Melchizedek is a part of a larger point. And that point is that Jesus is the Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world and that the law cannot do it because no one can achieve perfection in it. And so that's kind of where we sit in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Ezekiel, God has been telling what's coming. He's been telling people what's about to descend upon them, and none of it is good. And in the narrative, we can see what seems to be frustration on God's part, like, like how he's exasperated and how he has tried. And, and then we reached a portion of Scripture that I find to be one of the most riveting portions of Scripture in the Bible. And I encourage you to take some time to reread it yourself. It's uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 3 through 34, where God is very, very descriptive about the story as he sees it with his people. And he describes an orphaned and tossed away beauty left to die in a field just after birth, covered in blood. And no one cared for this little girl. She was left to die. She was unloved. When God came along and found her and nourished her and cared for her and raised her and watched her grow and watched her become beautiful and entered into a covenant of marriage with her and offspring were born and it was beautiful except that she began to notice her own beauty and flaunt her own beauty and over time to give herself to others. In other words, to break the covenant. 
And then the trajectory just spins out of control. She's not only uh, giving herself away to other gods and idols, she's giving herself away to other nations, and she's destroying God's children by sacrificing them to other idols. And basically, this has to stop. That's essentially what God is saying. This has to stop, and I'm going to stop it. And you're not going to like it. But this has to stop if you're ever going to turn around and return to me. I find it heartbreaking because of the imagery that God chose to use. Because it's imagery of betrayal and heartbreak and jealousy and loss and all of the angst and unrest that comes when a relationship disintegrates through betrayal and adultery. And so many of us could read that passage and see ourselves there, know those emotions, and and whether you've been betrayed or not, you can still understand what that would be like. And so what we're seeing is less of a vengeful, angry, irritated, tyrannical God and more the heart of a lovesick, broken-hearted God. And it starts to make sense because we can see that we would feel the same way. And it gives us a lot to think about in our own relationship because so often we think our relationship with God, the, the only emotion in any of it is our own God doesn't feel anything. He doesn't really care. He's just quick to forgive, and that's that. And doesn't matter what we do. And he's just always on. He's always available to us to turn to. But, but we only really turn to him when we need him to do something. And we can imagine what that feels like. And we have to imagine what it feels like for God for us to really enter into this relationship with him. So going back through that passage of scripture will be helpful and healthy as we contemplate our relationships with God. And Father, we see in this imagery your heart toward us. We see why you are a jealous God. We just rarely can bring ourselves to the level of value that you do. We don't value ourselves the way you do. We don't see ourselves as the treasure that you do. And so sometimes we can't even imagine that you could feel this way about us, and yet we're reading it right off the page. The scriptures, you spoke this thousands of years ago, and things haven't changed. You are smitten with us. Why is beyond our comprehension But you created us, and I guess that matters a lot. You know everything about us, every cell that makes us who we are, every hair on our head, every experience that we've had, all of the choices that we've made, and you've still loved us. And put in these terms found in the book of Ezekiel, we are stopped in our tracks as we realize what our behavior does to your heart. So come, Holy Spirit, 
Wash us clean. Restore us. Make us new again. We run back into your arms. There is no other hope but you. And we thank you for your patience, kindness, long-suffering, and love for us. Amen. Good morning, family. This is John calling in from Texas for my amazing wife. Praying again and continually for complete recovery and healing from tinnitus. I know that there's nothing that God can't or won't do for his people. And so I come today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth and declare that disease and sickness is broken in his name, that healing is in his wings, and that every sickness, disease, and affliction that's in my wife's body and the many members in this family that are struggling with sickness are healed, delivered, and set free today. And we thank you for these things. And we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Dabbers. This is Beloved in Arizona. And first of all, I just want to thank Brian for creating this community and the wonderful vibe of the global campfire. And of course, to God for writing the Bible for us. <laughs> um, I'm calling for prayer for uh my physical health and my emotional mental health uh physically i um just got diagnosed with bronchitis and i have been sick for like a couple weeks and took an entire week off work and now i finally got the diagnosis and the medicine and um, work is getting kind of cranky with me because i've been gone too much and um, so I can't take any days off for the move. And I don't have very much physical strength to even even put stuff in boxes. So prayer for that, please. Good morning, Dabbers. This is QD and PA. I'm calling in uh, on November uh, 2nd. Uh, I just finished listening to November 1st. And uh, I wanted to reach out to Desperately Seeking Jesus, also known as uh, Desperately Connected to Jesus. And I just wanted to share my encouragement uh, to you, sister. I, I've been where you're at. 2016 was um, a very hard year. I, I too, you know, had lost a job. I had lost loved ones. I had lost, lost um, material uh, things. And, um, but, with that, God was so faithful, and I, I really saw him for the first time. And if he is reaching out to you through your circumstances, and if the word that you're hearing is humble, surrender. Just surrender. Because I'm telling you, it is so, it is so painful, I'm not going to lie, but... He brings you through it, and he's so faithful, and he's so kind, and he's so gentle. So fast forward to today, you know, I'm, I've been working uh, steadily since uh, 2017, and, um, and he has blessed me beyond belief in so many ways. But the most valuable thing that I got out of it was just seeing him and knowing him for as 
the God that he is and him, and him being so real to me because he brought me so low, but he has been so faithful in bringing me so much higher. So I just leave you with that, sister. Stay encouraged, stay in the word. God is faithful, he loves you, and he's looking after you. Peace. Love you all. Thank you. Hello, this is Cameron, a.k.a. Zephaniah 317 from the D.C. area. And I'm calling, first of all, uh, thank you all, Dabbers. I've been a part of this community for a couple of months now. Don't call them much, but I do enjoy listening to everyone's prayers and praying for everyone. Um, so I am praying for every believer uh, to live a, for holiness, uh, specifically is sexual purity in that arena and I'm also asking for myself and uh, uh, for all the, uh, the believers that I know single and married um, that we can live in complete 100% sexual purity and thought word and deed I uh, love you dabbers um, I just pray for you all Lord that we can stay strong in the midst of this um, um, this sometimes hostile world and hostile culture God that, that holiness would be and purity, purity would be our, our passion God that you would just instill in us a desire and a hunger and thirst for righteousness and fill that desire uh, and that hunger and thirst for righteousness in all of us in Jesus name Zephaniah 317 signing out